Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. This morning, I'm excited to preach the Word of God to you. Um, notice I didn't say to preach man's opinion or my opinion. At Weston, we believe that the Word of God is enough And it's the all-sufficient Word of God. It is perfect, it is inerrant, and it is useful for my life and for our lives. And so we need to go to the source material for life. And God gave us His Word, and I'm grateful that we have the privilege in this day and age to open up this book freely and to read it publicly in a PA system at that and, and to just receive in this moment. So I just pray that, um, you know, if the projector distracts you, that that distraction's gone in Jesus' name. That we will focus and we're going to come around what God wants us to leave with today. Um, in our text, in just a moment, we're going to read it. But Luke 15, the Pharisees are wondering why Jesus hangs out with bad people. And he tells three stories as a result. Number one is the lost sheep. The second story is the lost coin. And then he tells the story of the lost son. Or you may have been heard it referenced as the prodigal son. And, you know, in those three stories, the sheep got lost naturally. The coin accidentally. And the son will willingly got lost in the sense of he walked away. It was his choice. He did it willfully. And in every case, though, in those three stories that Jesus was telling, someone went to look for what was lost. And and today, with God's help, I want to preach to you a message that I'm simply calling the Father's heart. The Father's heart. And see, I don't know what your experience has been with your earthly father. I don't even know if maybe you haven't had a a father. You just grew up not having a dad. Whatever the case might be, you know, our experiences shape our worldview, yes? Our experiences shape who we are and our outlook on life. Now, when I say the Father's heart is the title, some of you immediately have an idea of, or a thought or a feeling or a memory comes to mind. And today, with God's help, we have to put all of that aside. Because we're not after each of our own experiences. When we're, at, when we're coming around this subject of the Father's heart, we want to come around the Word of God and hear what God has to reveal to us about His heart. Can somebody say Amen. And I know it's not difficult because our nature is that we hang on to experience because we learn from mistakes. We learn from those who've hurt us. We learn from all of those things in life. But today we need to learn from the Word of God. And that's why we're gathered. That's why we're here. And I'm just going to bring us up to speed in the story and then we're going to get reading. Um, But basically the youngest, there's a father with two sons in this third story that Jesus is telling And the youngest told his father, hey, dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That wasn't a common request, by the way. But that's how he kind of approaches his father. And 
um, the Father in his goodness perhaps and in his mercy gives him what he's asked for. Now, being the second son, he got one-third of the estate, and the older brother would have been allotted two-thirds, more or less, and the father would have been able to keep something out of that as well. But the idea is he got the lesser amount, being the younger son, and this is where we're going to pick up in Scripture. So if you have your Bible and you're able to stand with us in honor of God's Word, would you turn to Luke chapter 15? And we're going to start reading at verse 13. Luke 15, verse 13. Luke 15, verse 13. If you're there, shout amen. 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 If you're not there, just look up on the crooked screen. (laughs) So here's what it says, verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, and the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything." When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, I, uh, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead, And now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray today that whatever our experience has been of our earthly father, that God, you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that we would hear, Lord, from heaven, As you tell us about your heart, God, 
Lord, I thank you through Jesus. It's been revealed to us in a personal way that we can know your love intimately. And Father, today I just pray that you would use me as your servant. Lord, I humble myself under your mighty hand that you would fill my mouth with the words you want me to speak to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Some of you are thinking, Pastor John, that was a lot of Bible you just read. Listen, for some of you, that's as much as you've read all week. You can say amen or ouch, but we don't make apologies for the Word of God, right? It's good to read the Word, and I'm committed to doing it together in the house of God. So this text, it's a story that Jesus is telling, but we have to remember the why. Why was he telling this story? Because people, the Pharisees, were wondering, why does Jesus hang out with bad people? And Jesus told three stories. This is the third story. And I just want to walk us through this. If you grew up in church, you might know the story, and that's okay. I also understand there are others who may be familiar with it, but you don't know the heart of God still. You might remember a story or, oh, the prodigal son, but you don't know the heart of God. And there might be a third camp where this is like news to you, and this is good news to you, and should be for all men who hears it, for everyone who hears. So verse 13, he gets the money. The Bible says he packs his stuff, and he moves to a distant land. You know what's interesting? What happens is that he goes the kind of life that he starts to lead when he's cut off from, from his dad's house is a wild life. He's wayward and he's wasteful. And I want to say this, that when you choose to walk your own way, and you're entitled to, you're allowed to, but when you choose to walk your own way, or in other words, away from God, you also remove yourself from God's covering And under that covering comes his care and his provision. So you see, he got what he asked for, and the Father had a mercy, and in his goodness, gave him or granted his request. Hey, Dad, give me my share now. And he did it. And he made his own choices. You see, you have to consider where you're at today. And maybe some of you... You stepped away from God's good grace. And, and you are kind of in this turmoil wondering, where is God? If you love me and we say you're good, for, where are you, God? Well, I think before we ask him the question, we have to ask ourselves the question. Where am I positioned today? And wh- whose doing is it? Because I believe if God has led you somewhere, he's going to stick by you through it. And he's not going to abandon you. So... You have to ask this question. The son lived a wild life, wayward life, and a wasteful life. Three W's because hopefully it's easy for you to remember. (laughs) Right? But verse 14, about the time his money ran out, there's a great famine. You know, my parents used to remind me, Jonathan, all good things must come to an end. Right? It's fun when you have the money. And guess what? The friends are all around and everyone's there and you're the it guy or the cool girl and all of that stuff. But when the money runs out, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when you find out who your real friends are. That's when you find out how popular you are or what kind of influence you have. And so the money starts to run out. 
when you do your own thing, you know, you, when I say you're cut off from God's blessing, it's his covering, it's his care, it's also his provision. And, and you know, we know the rest of the story because we read it. With his dad, he never had to worry. He never had to wonder, what am I going to eat? But now the money ran out and the problems start. And isn't it just like life that when it gets hard, it gets really hard? And so it's a hard day because he's like, people are walking away from me. I can't buy their drinks anymore at the bar. I'm not that guy anymore. But at the same time, a great famine sweeps through the land, which means that everyone else also is in a need. But this guy is especially in trouble. So he's got no more money, but now there's no more food in the land. And the bottom falls out. No more friends, and the economy falls flat. So what does it mean? Now that there's no more money, could he get a job? No. In famine, nobody's hiring. There's no work for you. I'm sorry. Agriculturally speaking, there's no work. And so he can't even really find the job. But he finds one. Because when you're at the bottom, there's only one place where you can go. One direction, right? up. So today I just want to say you might be a lot like this son and maybe you know it's your fault but I want to encourage you to know that if you are at the bottom take courage, be encouraged today because you can only go up from the bottom and you're going to see God's redemption in this story. He finds a job. He'd fallen so low that you know He's feeding pigs, and he's hungry, and he's tempted to eat the pods that he's supposed to feed the pigs. Now, if you're hired to do a job, you're supposed to do the job, not eat on the job, let alone eat the food that you're supposed to use to do the job for the pigs. And this now begins to look attractive to him. You see the big contrast? In his father's house, he was good. He didn't have to worry about a thing, but cut off from that supply, that provision. Like, I saw someone's eyes here, like, kind of squirming, like, so gross. But even that was appealing to him. And guess what the scripture says? It says in verse 16, The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But check this out. But no one gave him anything. So in other words, he had fallen so low and had become so insignificant that no one gave him anything, which means total neglect. So not only is he at the bottom, but it's like people are kicking dirt at the same time. Where you were once like the limelight or the the man of the hour, now you are nothing to nobody and you are neglected. I don't know if there's anyone here today And maybe you feel like that neglected person. You know, our prayer for this house, and we say it on social media, on the screen, that it feels like home. And and this is the atmosphere and the environment that we want to foster at Weston. That this place is a place where you can belong. A place where if you have no family, no father or mother, that you can come here and find a family to belong to and be a part of. Because this is God's plan and design for his church that you can come and be a part. But 
he was neglected. And my prayer is if you feel that way, you know, allow the love of God to minister to your heart today, even as I preach today, even as people, we greet one another before we leave. Allow the love of God in a tangible way to reach and touch you today. But I'm grateful for a verse 17. And maybe some of you, you need this. This is your verse 17 today. The Bible says, and when he came to his senses, because you see, when you are in a rut, you think in one way. When you're stuck in a rut, it's not a positive outlook, especially if you're at the bottom. You're just like, what's next? Who's going to spit on me next? Who's going to kick dirt on me next? Because neglected people just expect to be neglected. But here's the amazing thing, that the Bible says, even in the midst of this rut, that he came to his senses. And I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, you could be here today and, and by the power of His Spirit, that you will come to your senses. That something that was turned off is going to come alive again. And what happens when He comes to His senses? He remembers. He remembers. You see, you might be here today, and you once walked with God, and now you're just walking through the motions of a religious experience. But you lack the power of God in your life and you lack the love of God, and you don't know it anymore, when you come to your senses, it, co it comes alive again. You know, it, I'm, I'm reminded of Revelation in one of the letters where it says, return to your first love. Anyone remember reading that in Revelation? Return to your first love. It's like that reminder if you have a husband or a wife here or maybe a, a fiancé, you could remember like that first date where everything was like you... you showed up and you did up and, and you gave your best and all of that. If, if they were late for the date, please don't look at your spouse or your neighbor right now. But, you know, you can remember and it kind of, you know, you take a walk down memory lane and you get nostalgic. It's like something comes alive again and it reminds you that, hey, keep this thing alive. Keep the, the relationship alive like it was in the beginning. And when he comes to his senses, this is the conversation he's having with, with maybe the pigs, but more so himself. He's saying, wait a minute, hold on a second. Even the hired servants in my dad's house, they never have to worry about eating food. They always have more than their share. And he's like, here I am. And, and I'm all alone, and I'm thinking about eating this food that is supposed to be for the pigs. So he hits rock bottom. He still has some decent logic, but this is his logic. I've messed it up big time with my dad. So his logic, being the lost son, and this is his heart, okay? The heart of a lost person is this. I'm not worthy. And by the way, if you're taking notes and you need like three points, here's point number one. It's the heart of the lost. The heart of the lost or their posture or perspective is, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. How can I go back to what I was before? And in his own logic, which was decent logic, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back. I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, Forgive me for I've sinned. And the position 
of his heart is, I'm not good enough to be your son anymore, so can I be a hired servant in your house? And that's the heart of the lost. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're an outcast. They feel like they are neglected. And they feel like, I'm not one of the rest. I'm not one of the rest. And maybe I can just kind of, build, kind of be there in the shadows. You know, it, church, our experience today, um, we want to make church a place where the sinner can walk in and not feel ostracized or judged. That they can come, they can belong, and they will hear the word of God. That God loves them enough to not leave them where they're at, but to restore, to heal, to redeem, and to save, to deliver, and to give what they never had before, eternal life. But we have to make this a place where they can come. But the heart of the lost is saying, I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough. And what happens is he prepares, and this is his plan and his position. He's like, I've sinned against heaven and you. This is what I'm going to tell my dad when I get home. And, and I'm going to let him know that I'm not even worthy enough to be his son. But if he's willing to hire me, then at least I can have some food and I'll, I should be okay. And I could live that way. But I'm so grateful that we have the heart of the Father that's revealed. Can you say amen? Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write the heart of the Father. And by the way, the heart of the Father, the Father, even though there are a few verses that are attributed to him out of this whole story... He is the central figure in Jesus' story. The heart of the Father. In verse 20, it says that the Father saw him coming. The Father saw him coming even when he was far away. And what we understand is evidently the Father had been looking for the boy day after day after day. Can somebody say amen? The, the son was lost. He was gone. But the Father kept looking day after day after day. How do we know that? Well, it says when the Son was afar off, the Father saw Him. What else would the Father be doing? And how do we conclude then? Well, we see what the Father did. So it justifies our understanding that, no, He was watching and He was waiting. He was watching and He was waiting. The Father's response, so the Son comes. The sun is showing up and he sees him. He's filled with love and compassion. A lot of us, our earthly fathers, we do this because we're afraid. Maybe all you got was a beating. And so when you hear the father, all you think of is, I need, to, I need to flinch or I need to go. And I understand that this could hit home for many people. You know, and abuse is a, is a thing, unfortunately, that has happened and happens still in the home. But the Father, God the Father, His love is so much better and so unique that it, you can't compare Him to your earthly father. Listen, the Father's response, His Son, remember, said, Dad, give me the money. Went away, wasted it all on this wild living. And what's the Father's response when He sees Him coming home? He was watching, but He was filled with love and compassion. What does he do as a result of that? He runs and he embraces, the scripture said, and kisses his son. You know, the idea of running, he would have gathered his robe together and run to go and meet his son. 
And in that day and age, in their culture, it's important to note men didn't run in that culture. It was viewed as inappropriate or like not cool. Like you don't go and, and do that. And so for the father, uh, when Jesus is telling this story, he had a purpose. And, and he wasn't just making up a story. He was telling this story so the Pharisees could understand the heart of the father the heart of God, so that he would break cultural norm and even be willing to be uncool because of his love and compassion that he has for his son. Can somebody say amen? You know, God's great love reaches out and still finds sinners no matter why or how they got there. You know, as humans, if, if we would have seen the sun, we would pr probably had like, 20, let's play 20 questions. Why did you do that? Why did you go? What did you spend the money on? And why is it all gone? Why do you look like that? Why are you almost like no shoes, no clothes? What it, you know, and just drill the questions because that's maybe what we know best. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. Why? Well, He already knows the answer, first of all. He's all-knowing. But what we need to know is his heart. We need to know his heart. We need to understand the heart of the Father. That he will come and he's still today in the business of in his love reaching out and finding sinners no matter why or how they got lost. And, and this is the cool thing. In the midst of this whole encounter, the son still has to tell him his speech that he prepared with the pigs. You know, he, he's like, you know, rehearsing probably as he's going. But the father didn't even give him an opportunity to open up his mouth and say, and say you know, let me, let me. But verse 21, we see that the son tries to share his rehearsed speech where he would disclose his plan and idea for the hired position. Right? We said it was decent logic. But look at the father's response, verses 22 to 24. In the father's response, and I summarize it, he said, Get the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf that we've been preparing. So may, what other feast were they expecting or waiting for? The father was waiting for the son to come home. And when he showed up, he said, guys, it's time to throw the party. Get everything that we've been waiting and preparing and, and put it on him and get the meal ready. And it's time to party. It's, wow, this is like a dead group today. Maybe you're all partied out already. I thought Thanksgiving is supposed to be on Monday officially, but maybe some of you have like that turkey comatose state going on for you. I don't know. But the father said in verse 24, and I read, uh, verse 23, Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The part, Some of you, you're going to walk out of church and you're going to come alive. But let's let the word of God come alive inside of us today. He said, let the party begin. Let the party begin. And remember, Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees because they are wondering why he hangs out with bad people. And by telling this story, Jesus identifies himself 
with God and his loving attitude to the lost. So Jesus is saying, you want to know why I'm hanging out with the tax collectors and these sinners? Why I even share a meal with them? That's why. That's why. The Father's heart is for the lost and the dead. That they would be found and they would come alive again. And the appropriate response when they find that life is, is to throw a party. It's to throw a party. We, you know, the angels in heaven rejoice. We, we, when people get saved, we, we understand that verse. But sometimes, somehow if we say, let's throw a party, like we kind of have an idea of what a party is and what it means. A biblical party is, is a good party. And verse 3, we have, uh, sorry, number 3 is the heart of the sun. Because I believe many of us would, would fall in this camp sometimes. And when Jesus was getting to this other son, the older son who never left, he was basically pointing or nudging and prodding or stepping on the toes and the ego of the Pharisees. And this is kind of what's going on. The, the older son was out in the fields working, comes home, finds out what's happening, and why. And they're like, guess who's back? <laughs> right? And they're probably excited because they're like, we're throwing the party now. And they're like, your bro is back. And we're celebrating his safe return. And verse 28, we find his reaction and it's this, he's angry, and not only angry, but he refuses to join the party. Wow. Something that is important to the father, the, the son is neglecting now. Something that is a, an occasion for great rejoicing and celebrating, the older son is refusing to be a participant in. And so let's look at the father's response to the son coming home, the lost son. The father's response is that he forgave because he's filled with love. The older son's response is he refused to forgive because he was bitter. He was unhappy about the outcome. Verse 29 and 30 um, goes on to expand on the older son's mindset and where he's positioned in this whole story that he says, I've slaved for you, and you've given me nothing. I've slaved for you, and you've given me nothing. Hold on. Is he a hired slave or servant? No. He's a son. What did the, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he was like, I, I used to have everything, but even the servants have enough food, but he was remembering as a son, but I'm not worthy of it. This guy who had access still to everything, who, who could have done everything that he could because he was home and he was still in his father's good graces, but his view of himself was that of a slave and that of a servant, no different from the hired help. So even though he had the rightful position as a son. His outlook was that of a servant or a slave. You have to understand, God has called us all sons and daughters if you are a believer here today. But how you live that out is, is up to you. You can take full advantage of what God has made available to you. 
or you can still be here, still be a son or a daughter of the king, but you live as, as a pauper, as a poor, poor individual, or as a slave even. And that, that's a broken and poor mentality to have because that's not what God's heart is for you. And that's not what he has done or made available for you. He had a poor view of sonship. His resentment rendered him just as lost to the father's love as the younger brother had been. You have to understand. That's why I said at the beginning, you could be here. You know the story in scripture in Luke 15, but you don't know the love of God. And today my prayer is that you would open up your heart and view that we are no longer slaves, but we're sons and daughters. That he bought us at a high price. That we would be set free and not live as slaves, but that we would be set free in Jesus' name. The loving father said to his son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I'm going to ask Priscilla if you would come to the, the piano. As believers, we're living under an open heaven. We are. As believers, we're living under an open heaven, under that same reality where God says, everything I have is made available to you. It's yours. Everything I have is yours. There's an open heaven. Now the, the, the call and the challenge is don't close what God has opened. Don't close what God has opened. Satan doesn't have the authority to close what God has opened. He doesn't. He doesn't. We already said it during prayer time about the veil that was ripped in two. Something interesting that I've been studying a little deeper is at Jesus' baptism, you know it says the clouds uh, opened. You know, in, in our head we think like they were gently rolling away and like it started to shine but as you begin to study in the original Greek you understand that the word is a much more violent maybe that's a little over but in the same way that the veil was torn in two and split it says that the, the clouds were split and it was a sign as Jesus' ministry was beginning on earth that God was it was a new era on earth and Jesus's ministry began but basically that heaven was coming to earth that the heavens were split open and then we get to where Jesus dies at his, his crucifixion where the veil was split into it's the same connotation and then it says that also the rocks were split in two because the earth began to shake those three splits share that same uh, connotation that, that God was doing a work. And if God did the work, get this, the devil can't close what God opened. But you know who can close it? You. I've heard uh, a pastor say, the only closed heaven is between your two ears. <laughs> it's our mindset. It's our mindset. Don't close what God has opened. He's given us His love. He's given us so much. He's positioned us, not as slaves in the kingdom, 
we're servants, yes, but we're sons and daughters who serve the King. We're sons and daughters. And God's saying, everything I have is yours. You need more, you need real love, I have it. You need real love, receive it in Jesus' name. You know, for someone who's here, maybe you're chasing after love through relationships. Maybe you're looking for just the validation. I want you to know that there's no love like the love of the Father. There's no love like His love. People fall in and out of love like they fall in and out of clothes. <laughs> right? It's like this today, tomorrow it's like that. Hear me today, because I believe the Holy Spirit is in this. There's no love like the love of the Father. And you don't have to wait to be good enough. Because <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never be good enough. You know what he says? He says, come just as you are. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. And today, the question for us is, do you want his love? The love of the Father. Let it wash whatever love that has left you disappointed. Let it change your perspective and your position. Know that doesn't matter what you've done. You come as you are. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.